Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. I want to introduce you to two powerful women in my life, and I am excited that I get to share them with everyone here. So I want to make sure that I give you their background and their bio so that you understand who these women are. So first, Elizabeth Baker has made the city of Tracy her home, along with her husband and two children, for more than 30 years. Liz spent nearly 30 years in civil service with the Employment Development Department in various positions until her retirement in July 2020. Her last position was a senior manager with the Labor Market Information Division, where she led an exceptional team of research analysts, specialists, and supervisors responsible for educating customers on the state economic well-being. Community service is considered an obligation for Liz, although she's from humble beginnings, the eighth of nine children, raised in inner city Los Angeles, she has a servant's heart, influenced by her father, Ananias Nichols. She always looks for ways to help others, even as a child when resources for her large family were scarce. Liz was the first in her family to attend and graduate from college. Her alma mater, San Jose State University, is where she met her husband of 39 years. It was here that she was also initiated into the illustrious Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Liz currently serves as the local chapter president. Liz engaged in many community outreach efforts over the past 30 years. She served on the Tracy Chamber of Commerce Economic Development Committee, Tracy Tomorrow Task Force, and was a founding member and president of the Tracy Women's Forum. Liz has coordinated food distribution throughout Tracy, especially during the COVID shutdown, participated in the annual Diaper Dash for the local Family Resource Center, and gathered a team to assist with holiday meals and toys distribution with various community partners. Stephanie Eubanks-Wright, a native of Cleveland, Mississippi, earned a bachelor's degree in education from Jackson State University and a master's degree from Delta State University in Education Leadership. She recently completed an MBA with a concentration in public policy from Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. After college, Stephanie returned to her hometown in the Mississippi Delta to begin her career as a teacher. In 2008, she relocated to Meridian, Mississippi, where she taught middle school and served as a lead administrator in the Meridian Public School District. Over the years, Stephanie has invested much of her expertise in education as a consultant to local youth programs and agencies to enhance academic and social achievement. She shares a passion to teach and influence students to discover their potential. Committed to being a lifelong educator, mentor, and community advocate, Stephanie has founded and co-founded such projects as Girl Power, Teens Taking the Lead, and the Fellowship of Southern Christian Families, programs designed to bridge opportunity gaps for young teens and to strengthen healthy relationships among Black families and their growing youth. 
Stephanie joined the Meridian Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated in 2008, where she became the program chair for Delta Gems, a nationally recognized mentorship program for teenage girls that would eventually span three counties, serving young girls from over 10 public and private schools countywide. Stephanie Wright is currently a member of the Tracy Area Alumni Chapter, where she serves as social action chair. The chapter addresses issues to improve funding, equity, and public education, voter participation in rural and BIPOC communities, and access to quality mental health services in schools. Stephanie currently works for Parent Voices Oakland in Oakland, California, as the Special Projects Coordinator in Policy and Research for Early Childhood Education. She works with partner organizations across sectors to coordinate policy demands that address discriminatory and funding practices that negatively impact underserved populations. She believes a true sense of community begins with us working collectively using our God-given talents and our generational wisdom and being good stewards of our inheritances. In doing so, we must invest and be first teachers to our own children if we wish to see our legacies flourish. We have the power to be the change we desire to see. We must own it and live up to it. Stephanie currently lives in Mountain House, California. She's married to Dr. Benny Wright, and they have four beautiful daughters, Amber, Madison, Anna Bryce, Bailey, and a five-year-old, Frenchie Jordy. All right. So I am excited this week. Of course, we are continuing our conversation with the Divine Nine. So I am ecstatic to have my local chapter president and social action chair for Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated from the Tracy Area Alumni Chapter. So uh, Liz Baker, our president, along with Stephanie Eubanks-Wright, are here with me to talk a little bit about Delta Sigma Theta. And um, I'm just excited because I've had the opportunity to, to talk with several other fraternities. And now I want to get to some of the sororities and really kind of talk a little bit about Delta Sigma Theta. So why don't we just start out? Maybe you guys can talk a little bit about what Delta Sigma Theta is, where it came from, why did it get started? Thank you, Melissa. It is uh, really nice to be able to talk to you and have this forum to really educate our community more about the Divine Nine and specifically Delta Sigma Theta sorority. So I just want to give a little bit of background regarding our organization. And I hope it's not overwhelming because there's so much to share that I'll try to keep it, you know, uh, I'll try to be as succinct as possible. But so Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated was founded by 22 women on January 13th, 1913. So 110 years ago on the campus of Howard University in Washington, D.C. So the formation of our sorority was born from a desire for our founders to engage in public service with an emphasis on programs that assisted African-American communities. So yes, there was a sorority prior to the formation of Delta Sigma Theta sorority, but these women decided to break off to start an organization that had more emphasis on providing resources to the Black community. And so as a testament to their determination, just two months after their founding, 
these women, courageous women, uh, joined the Women's Suffrage March on Washington, D.C. In Mar on March 3rd, 1913. So if you can imagine, in 1913... <laughs> Um, the state of our of our country and the plight of black people during that time, what that really took for them to do that was is, is pretty phenomenal, if you will. And then there's reports. I mean, there's lots of articles regarding the women's suffrage march, but there are reports that there was about five to ten thousand women who were engaged in this march on Washington, which was the day before Woodrow Wilson's inaugural address. And this small band of Black women were marching for rights for Black women, not just voting rights, but just equal rights, you know, as a, as a people. And uh, they were heckled. They were they they had insults thrown at them from left and right, as you can imagine. But they pressed on, and that really speaks to our legacy and you know who we are today and the shoulders that we stand on. I wanted to add something. When you talk about the richness of our, our history mm -hmm. and the founders at that time, I think it's so important that we highlight how young they were, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and even though that was a different time, they were, you know, mm -hmm. 19, 20, 21 years old, but they were still sort of forced into a world where they had to act as adults. They had adult mm -hmm. issues um, that they were working to eradicate. And mm -hmm. I think the other piece, too, that's that is so important is that they were visionaries. It wasn't a moment in time. It was really about what is it that we need to do today that's going to make this world a better place for our children, our grandchildren for generations to come. Mm -hmm. And so they knew that the vote was powerful. Yes. And in order to, you know, move policy to be able to have funding or whatever the vision was in, in terms of going into communities, because a lot of them were educators. A lot of people, mm -hmm. I don't know if people know that, but many of them were going to school to become teachers. And so education was one of the, the top priorities in terms of what they wanted to improve and in, 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 in terms of access. Um, but they understood the power of the vote. And in order to have the type of lifestyle and how they envision a thriving community, they knew that women needed to vote, especially Black women, right? Yes. And yes. I think that's so powerful. Um, when I read that history, I mean, I get chills um, because mm -hmm. I think about how young they were. I think about, mm -hmm. um, and it's something to be said about a person who can actually see generations ahead and know and understand, mm -hmm. like, I may not even live to see the benefit of this, but I know that my you know generations that will follow will benefit from that. And I think that's that's extremely powerful. Absolutely. And, it, and you know, there's a there's a quote that says, if not now, then when? If, if not us, then who? And I can just imagine them having that mindset of there's no better time than now because we're still facing after 50 years after 1913 was 50 years beyond the passing of the proclamation, Emancipation Proclamation. And so we still had a long way to go. And so when do you start? 50 yeah. years later, and we were still being suppressed. I mean, in in, in every way, right? And so, um, yeah, they decided, yeah. yes, we're going to move forward. Young women, uh, as Stephanie said. So it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about um, the sacrifice that they made and what they had to endure. I don't think we can even imagine that today. Well, and it's so interesting to me because when we think of Black history, we always think about 
you know, prior, I mean, obviously history, we go back, but there are so much history being made even today. Like as they do it, they're making history, you know? And back then it was like, okay, we're making history. I'm sure they knew they were making history at the time being, you know, at the women's suffrage movement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, sometimes we don't think about how we are making our own history as we go as well. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that because we just celebrated our 110th year anniversary of our founding of our organization. And I was thinking as we were going through our, you know, um, Founders Day ritual ceremonies, just to remember the sacrifice of these women. Did they even know that their names would still be mentioned 110 years later? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, who can say that? I mean, I don't even think that today. I'm sure my name is written down somewhere that I did something. But who's going to be saying my name 110 (laughs) years from now? I mean, it's pretty amazing that, you know, what they've done and what they've started and, you know, the foundation that they laid for us to continue today. Yeah, I think the passion is is important and the humility in terms of, um, you know, doing what's right when it's, you know, when the time or the time is always right to do what's right. Right. Um, And I think, as you stated, a lot of times we don't know when we're when we're out, even today, when we're out doing the work and we know that the work needs to be done, um, we don't all we don't really know what the outcome may be. But it has to be done. And so I'm not sure. I'm sure in their hearts that they wanted this organization to sustain, you know, a lifetime. And it has been going on. I mean, we're we're 110 years in, but I don't know if they thought about it like that. Um, But the founding that they set was so rich and it was so solid that Mm -hmm. they really left such a strong playbook for us to to follow. Um, And and I think that that when you talk about the black community and the culture and contributions, like that should be a part of our legacy. We have to leave a roadmap for our people um, Mm -hmm. because times change. And over time, I mean, think about the technology that we have now. Um, Nobody knew back then that there would be, you know, like they had to mail each other letters in order to get the (laughs) word out and send posters Mm -hmm. and all these types of things, you know, we get on social media. So we have such tools that work for us now that can actually advance how we work and mobilize and and change. And um, but I'm grateful that there's always been a a playbook left for us when it comes to activism and really doing what we need to do to to make an impact in our communities. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and and that kind of goes to my next question, which is really around. I know you both have different experiences in terms of choosing Delta Sigma Theta and, you know, how you came into the organization, you know, why did you choose Delta? Let me start there. And and what was that experience like? So I'll start. I was actually thinking about this um, recently and, you know, I, I, I attended San Jose State University and the Deltas were the movers and shakers on campus, if you will. They were the ones who stood out for me, and especially with my with my desire to be in the community and servicing others, they're the ones who stood out for me. I resonated with the, those young women who were on the campus of San Jose State. I didn't. I'm, I'm not from a legacy. Uh, I wasn't even exposed to Greek letter organizations until I got to college. 
And so I didn't come in with this pre predispos predis predisposed thought of joining an, uh, a Greek led organization. It was, wow, look at what they're doing. And I want to be a part of that. Um, and so my, my husband is a uh, Kappa. He pledged Kappa Alpha Psi and I was on his court. And that was kind of my first uh, exposure to Greek letter organization. Now we know this is how it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so with him joining the Kappas and then that exposure being around more Greeks at that time, it was the Deltas who I, I just connected with. And so there was no doubt in my mind of which organization I would join to further this cause um, Deltas were always in the forefront. So I know I made the right decision. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Stephanie? Yeah. So for me, I am a third generation uh, Delta. So my grandmother uh, was a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Um, may she rest in peace. She was a phenomenal woman. Uh, my mother, um, and we all went to HBCU. So my grandmother, uh, you know, was initiated as a Delta. My mother initiated as a Delta. And they were both graduates of Alcorn State University. And so, of course, you know, as a little girl going into that room that you're not supposed to go to in your grandmother's house and you see all of her Delta, you know, like paraphernalia and, and just going rummaging, as she would say, stop rummaging <laughs> through my things. Right. Um, but she was uh, such an uh, she had such an impression on my life. And um, and so that was sort of my first encounter and I knew then that, you know, when I went to college that I wanted to be a Delta. Um, and, you know, as um, we mentioned before, there's a presence that, you know, I pledged at Jackson State or I, I was initiated at Jackson State. And and there was a presence that the Deltas had on the yard. Um, and it's and I'm just sorry, it's something about that red wave. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it is. And, you know, when they when we say representation matters, it does, because there was an aura about them. There was a, a way that they carried themselves. It was even our, our advisors, you know, they worked on campus and and how they would step out and comport themselves in the, in the work that they did on campus. So, you know, I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted. I wanted to, to do. Um, and I am grateful. I've learned so much, you know, as a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Um, one thing that um, we've grown in as a, an organization is developing leadership development. You know, we focus a lot on that, you know, uh, as a national organization. And so that's something that I can truly say has is um, sort of added to me as a, you know, personally and professionally um, as being a member of, of the of the organization. So I'm, I am I'm very grateful. And I know I made the right decision. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, this friendly competition we have with all the divine nine. It's, it's all wonderful. love though. It, all <laughs> it is. It, it definitely is. It is. Yes, yes. it is. And now, so you talk a lot about leadership and the leadership development that Delta Sigma Theta provides. Uh, probably many other sororities and uh, fraternities do as well mm -hmm. in the divine nine specifically. But when I think about Delta Sigma Theta and we think about social action, to me, it's different than, you know, it's, it's almost like every sorority or fraternity has a bit of what they are really focused on. And so can you talk a little bit about social action and, and Delta and 
kind of what that means to our community. Sure. Yeah. So so social action is at the core of what we do. Um, I, I think um, we lead with, you know, if you want to talk about from a very technical like policy perspective, we've already mentioned about our, our founders and, and how their work uh, was uh, or what led their work. But the role of social action, you know, as a chair and as a committee, our goal is to educate, mobilize and do advocacy work. And that has, I should say, um, over time, we have really built that process up to the point where there is education, there's training. Um, and it's not just for social action chairs, it's for everyone, because this is a this is a community-wide effort. You know, we're deltas with we're an organization within a community. And so our role primi- primarily is to understand our national legislative priorities, how does that align with some of our statewide priorities and work and you know work that all the way down into what we are focusing on in our communities and how do we align all of that and operationalize it, whether it's an advocacy work or the service that we do. It's not always easy because like I said, a lot of times when you talk about legislative, you have people who are, sort of equipped at different levels. And so you have to meet not just members in terms of education and um, teaching them, you know, some of the basic tenets of advocacy, what we can and can't do um, as an organization. And then also when we do our outreach and we're in the community, you have to sort of meet people where they are. And I think that's sort of the balance too, because when you're getting into the meat of legislation, a lot of times you lose people And so we're sort of tasked with how do we take this issue that people can, they feel it, they understand it. But when it comes embedded in a bill, you know, it can be really meaty and confusing. Right. Right. And so how do you take that information (laughs) all the time? Right. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you take that and you phrase it in a way that everyday person can connect, understand and get behind it? Um, or not necessarily get behind it. You know, they can oppose it because I, we believe and we are a nonpartisan organization. We're really out here just educating. And one of the things that we are big on um, going back, it's voter you know, suppression. So we want we believe that every person who's eligible to vote should have the right to vote freely. Um, and so right now, one of our primary areas of focus in the state of California, and it's interesting because, you know, I we come across a lot of elected officials. Um, we come across a lot of um, parents and school officials. We've done a lot of um, work to educate people on the law. California has a law where you can pre-register as a 16 or 17 year old to vote. And a lot of people don't know that. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important um, because once we get into those schools, get front in front of these kids. And because like, just as we were talking about our founders, our young people are dealing with grown up issues. You know, some of them are having really? to carry the load and, and pay some mm-hmm. of the, the bills in the house. Um, and so they are seeing a world before them where they're forced to make some decisions. And so giving them the opportunity to pre-register, I think is a path to um, sort of, 
give some type of respect to the process and say, hey, we recognize you. We want you to be prepared. These, this is what you have as an option, you know, and once you pre-registered, you don't have to register. Um, you don't have to register. It automatically becomes active um, once they turn 18. So those are the things that we're trying to, and it's, and, you know, you set goals as a, and social action. And you're like, hey, we want to build partnerships with other D9 organizations that are, that's that's one of our priorities too. Because out where we are, it's a very rural area. We have lots of area to cover in terms of our communities and our service areas. And so another priority is for us to, um, we talk about D9 and some of these Black-led community-based organizations, partnering with them to sort of take inventory and say, okay, what type of work are you doing? How can we complement? How can we help build each other up? Um, Whether it's voter education, voter outreach, what tools do you have so we can work together and and reach more people? Um, And then Mm -hmm. we learn from one another. You know, you build trust. So those types of things are really important when you talk about social action and how we're building capacity. And it, it starts with a vision. Right. Um, and I am we're so blessed to have Liz Baker as our leader. Yes. She, she's not only a visionary, but she's I'm like, hey, Liz, I got this idea. She's like, OK, what do we need to do? Right. <laughs> what type of right. resources do we need? <laughs> um, and 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 that means a lot when you are sort of trying to position yourself to really respond to the needs of the community. You have to mm-hmm. be flexible. You have to be prepared. And I think, um, you know, your leader is is the person who really can help, you know, in terms of shaping the organization to to be that way and be responsive and, and connected. So we're, we're really grateful. Yes. Thanks, yes, Stephanie, I appreciate that. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. You know, as you were talking about, uh, you know, the social action aspect of our organization and that being the foundation, you know, one of the other things that we and you're really great at it is connecting with those elected officials, elected officials, because we can't do this by ourselves. And if they don't know who we are, then it just makes our job that much harder when we're trying to go out and be advocates for some of these issues and advocate for black people, for people of color in general. And so, um, you know, I think it's, I, I love that uh, we've been invited to this platform, Melissa, because it really, I think a lot of people see fraternities and sororities as these social organizations that party and swing off the chandeliers and, you know, have fun all the time. <laughs> right. And, 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 and I will say in college, we did have fun, but oh, <laughs> We have, we have, right, (laughs) (laughs) right, exactly. You know, we were young, right? But now, you know, even from the collegiate standpoint, um, we have the five programmatic thrusts, and one being political involvement and awareness. And so, we've always been political activists. We've always been engaged in educational involvement and international awareness and economic development. We've always, and 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 so. I think just for the the community at large to know us from a different perspective and just to learn about really who we are uh, and what we stand for, uh, you know, this platform is beautiful and, and we need to do more of these so that people really understand our position and see where we can align and really kind of move some of these um, 
initiatives forward to help our communities at large. Because like uh, Stephanie said, we cover a lot of area, geographic area. Uh, we cover seven cities within our service area and we overlap with many D9 organizations and we're trying to reach the same people. So yes, collaboration is very important and we are to, we are in this together to improve our, our communities. Yeah. And and one beautiful thing just actually took place. Um, we here in, in Tracy. We yes, I was just going to bring asked. that up. So you're going right there. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, a message was sent out in terms of. So um, what happened? There was, I guess, uh, an oversight. I'm not sure what happened, but the outcome. We'll call that, it an oversight. Yeah. The outcome right. was that the pan uh, the pan African flag was overlooked in terms of one of the uh, flags resolutions. That we yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, each year in perpetuity, right? And and so the resolution um, once that was seen, we were called in, and there was an effort to to write a resolution to include the the pan African flag. And so we were tasked, it was a call to action for, you know, black folks to show up. And I was very proud because several of the D9 organizations showed up and we just didn't show up. We actually, you know, there were many people who came and the key thing that I walked away with, you know, there was some rumblings that there was some pushback. And I think oftentimes what we miss going back to the education piece a lot of times people make decisions or they make assumptions and it's because they have not been properly educated. Yes. And mm -hmm. I would say 90% of the people who stood up and spoke that night in terms of supporting, you know, to raise that flag each month for the month of February, they talked a little bit about the history and not just the history of the flag, but how our history and what, in our contributions were represented in that, in that flag. And so it was, and I'm pretty sure some folks who were sitting there on the day as probably did not see it coming in terms of, uh, you know, who was going to show up and, but it was a beautiful moment. And I think, and, you know, going back to what is social action, social action is the ability to be able to answer the call, you know, um, and show up and be uh, present and visible um, when it's time. And Liz was there and yes. stood up and spoke um, and, you know, really kind of gave people a lesson on what it means. You know, some people may think flying a flag, maybe that's is not a big deal. But mm -hmm. when you're talking about representation and who we are and the voice and being included in your community, it makes a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit uh, about, you know, kind of what was said, but, but I, you know, the thing that was interesting is, you know, our mayor wouldn't have, wouldn't have actually been able to have a ceremony without the resolution and, you know, her being the first black mayor with the first black police chief, you know, we now have a city manager who, you know, I mean, so you kind of sit there in, in bewilderment, I think, in some cases when, you know, you can't be acknowledged as to the people that we are. You know, there were so many um, great things said that night from many different um, community activists, as well as other D9 organizations. But I think one of the things that was said that just 
kind of was to me was just the icing on the cake was like African-American or black history is American history. And why would we exclude a piece of history uh, just because it differs from what might be seen as the majority? And so why would we exclude any group? If it's a part of American history, let's raise the flag for the Pan-African flag for black people. Let's raise the, his, the flag for Hispanics. Let's raise the flag for whatever group. So let's just be inclusive instead of trying to figure out ways to exclude things. Let's come together as a community and decide how are we going to let's set the example. Let's set the standard for others and say, let's include everybody and have what's what is what does it take to raise a flag? Right. Uh, what does that say to our to our future generations about their heritage, their rich culture, just to show that their flag is on the, at the city at the city hall? building. Um, so, I, you know, there are a lot of great things said. I don't remember exactly what I said, um, <laughs> but it was a beautiful moment, as Stephanie mentioned, that there was so much support and the, and the room wasn't filled. But I think what was said, what was was important was the most important thing. And it resonated with all the city council um, members. And it was voted unanimous to have this, you know, to have it raised every year um, in the month of February. So, I think they just need, it's, again, it's just a matter of educating because people think they know things and they really don't. And so I think it's really, a, it's really on us to make sure that we show up. We show up and we at least, you know, come with some information to share in order to help people make more informed decisions. And that's, that's at a minimum, that's what we can do. Yeah. And it's such a, it speaks also to at the city level, but you know, there's a lot of corporations out there who have flags in front of their building. You know, mm -hmm. what an amazing opportunity for them to show support by, you know, putting up a flag or doing additional things within their own employee base. I agree. I agree. I read something in on uh, the Internet recently that said uh, Black history is one month out of the year. But the other 11 months is about everybody else's history or white history. And you don't have to necessarily print that. But, not, but you know, it's like we get one month. Come on. <laughs> but I, I think the, the one thing, too, Liz, that you brought up, you you sort of brought in what's currently happening, you know, in other states where there is an attempt to erase our history. Right. Or revise so that we can sort of coddle or placate to certain groups. And I think, you know, raising that flag, it's also an opportunity to open conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we talk about our young people, when we talk about uh, the, the decisions that we make today and how that impacts them tomorrow, um, there are a lot of young people who are not familiar with the history of that flag. And, and so to raise that flag also raises questions. And a lot of times people are afraid of the questions that come with, you know, symbols. <laughs> and so I think it was a bold statement to say, we've got to raise this flag and we've got to start raising questions and be prepared to answer questions um, for the, for the benefit of our children so that they will know their history and, and be proud. Yeah. Well, and that's the dialogue, right? A lot of that is missing in our schools today. So, you know, I know 
I know one of our mayor, you know, our mayor was talking about the little girl who came up to her and was like, she was just so excited to see her as mayor. She could see herself in that role. And Mm -hmm. so it's amazing when you think about just how the representation plays out around the world when people are able to see themselves in positions of authority and influence and power. So it's phenomenal. So then back to my D9, uh, my Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, In terms of some of the things, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things you all are doing community-wise or if you have any events, how can people connect with Delta Sigma Theta? Well, from the social action perspective, um, we're always pushing uh, GOTV, get out, you know, get out the vote. Um, That's not a seasonal thing. Um, (laughs) It's a mindset. It's what we do, right? We are prepared uh, to vote. And the understanding is that it's a it's a cyclical thing. So, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm registered to vote. OK, now I'm educating myself about who's on the ballot. I'm involved in the in the process um, in terms of holding elected officials accountable. You know, so, you know, it's a it's an ongoing effort. So for us locally, we're always available to you know, come into the schools and speak to the young people about, you know, the rights that they have and to assist them to register if they choose to do so. Um, And then just building relationships, you know, with community partners, Um, because it's again, if you're able to go in with several organizations from all different backgrounds, what does that say? We're, We're one of the most diverse in terms of population. We're in the most diverse area. Um, when it comes to student population. So we're looking to to build relationships there and partner and and expand our reach to to increase uh, voter participation. And then the other part is more recently we have there's ongoing negotiations, but in the state of California, um, there was a bill, uh, Bill AB 2774, which was a bill um, that we became familiar with last year and we had a guest speaker to come and speak to us. And it's really about uh, equity and school funding for black students. Right. And that bill did not go through. But from my understanding, there's still some work uh, being done around it um, to kind of negotiate or renegotiate. So, I mean, we'll, we're doing work like that. We, we're um, there is a. um we're working to set up some meetings with some elected officials to have at the state level to talk about some of the issues that are important to us. We have a focus on mental health, especially mental health um, for children. We've done some work with uh, survivors of domestic violence. So public safety is a huge um, issue that we uh, sort of rally around and support. So we, we have a lot of things and all folks have to do is just reach out to us and, uh, <laughs> We can connect. We can set it up. Um, we're we're ready, and that's the goal. You know, just be ready. And um, so, yeah, we're excited about what's to come. And so, yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, that's awesome. I mean, in terms of, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you think it's meant to our culture? I think I think you've you've hit on lots of pieces of it. But is there anything else you all would like to share about the organization? Because I mean, 110 years, I know you can't possibly cover, but, you know, there's so many influential people 
um, and maybe you want to highlight a couple that have had such an impact on the world, really, who are Deltas. I mean, and I think a lot of people may not know who they were or what organization they were with, but it's amazing to me when I think about people like Dorothy Height and Marsha Fudge. I mean, she's a perfect example today in one of the highest positions in terms of um, housing and urban development. And, you know, Kamala, of course, came from, or should I say Vice President Harris, came uh, from another D9 organization. But her background with the Divine Nine and and the support, I think, that um, was created kind of really transformed, you know, her role as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we actually have, a, a, I think it's a, a leadership. Well, I know that we do. We have a leadership institution that we're building out. Um, and that's one of the, you know, other mechanisms that the organization has in place to uh, support women who have a desire to run for office, public office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what she stood for. Um, and she was, she was a firecracker. So lots of, lots of positive things came out of the work that she did. I, I did want to highlight a couple of things that uh, has occurred and, and I wanted to go back I know we're doing a lot of great things now, but I, you know, just in doing a little bit of research myself, because again, our 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 culture and our history is so rich that there's just a couple of things that I wanted to highlight. So first, I, I and I don't think that I mentioned this earlier, but uh, Delta Sigma Theta currently has over three hundred and fifty thousand initiated members, and I think that's pretty incredible. Um, we have over a thousand chapters, and that combines both collegiate and alumni chapters uh, throughout the world, not just in the U.S., but in Jamaica, in Korea, and Hawaii. And I mean, we are our reach is is quite extensive, and I think that's something that we are very proud of because we're reaching more and more people. Uh, back in um, the early '30s, if you will. Uh, there was the first National Library Project. So, you know, we talked about how these our founders were just very young women and were just, you know, starting in their careers after college. And, you know, some of the things that they were able to implement uh, soon after the founding of our organization, a National Library Project, because, again, they were trying to, you know, we were, we were being suppressed from learning. <laughs> so, you know, Deltas were making sure that our communities had books to read. And then in the early 40s, there was a career development initiative where we were the first sorority to provide a program of employment counseling and career development for Black women. Uh, we were the first to, uh, back in uh, the early 60s, we opened the Mary Help of the Sick Mission Hospital in Kenya. I mean, so even in the early 60s during the Civil Rights Movement, I mean, we were we were moving and shaking across the pond, if you will, or in, in uh, Europe, if you will. And so Delta has always been at the forefront, in my opinion, of just doing things uh, above and beyond what is was perhaps even expected of a Black organization. And I think that because of that, the inroads that were the, the roads that were paved early on allowed us to do these great things today. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned March of Fudge, you mentioned Shirley Chisholm. I mean, and there's so many other great women, and we have quite a few honorary members as well, um, who really just set the standard for Greek organizations to really have an impact on our communities. And so we are more than just a social organization. Um, 
we are a movement uh, really looking for equal justice um, for our communities throughout the world. And so I just wanted to make sure we highlighted a couple of those uh, attributes. Uh, one of our, in, in the 1960s, our national president, uh, Jean L. Noble, was on the Social Action Commission uh, appointed by President Lyndon B. Johnson. And she also served under Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. And so there's just so much. I, I wish we had an hour to really delve into the depth of, of Delta and, and the, in, the impact that we've had on our communities. Uh, but I know that the podcasts are typically shortest. <laughs> <laughs> we can go as long as you want. No, I'm just kidding. Or you can always come back. History is so important. You know, that's an identity. Um, and to not have that and, you know, like we can, there are so many parallels, but when we don't have access to our history, it's sort of like we're in limbo, right? We, we, we're kind of lost. But I think that what Liz is talking about is something that we probably need to talk about more when it comes to, you know, the divine nine organizations because of it was rooted in eradicating a struggle, right? Uh, it was not intended uh, for Black folks to continue to struggle. And so, you know, you had individuals who, again, knew that there's a way to do it the right way um, so that we could have um, lasting uh, equality. And so um, that, that, that history is so rich and I, and I love it. I love being able to go back <laughs> and read and, and it makes sense when you're trying to visualize what was happening at that time. Like you have yes. to kind of do uh, uh, not just the story, but sort of put a timeline to it to really right. grasp the how context. Yeah. Yes. To, mm -hmm. to really understand what was going on and taking place uh, and what were the odds, you know, um, at that time. So mm -hmm. really important stuff. Really important. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I cannot thank you all enough for joining me for this conversation. I know it will not be the last because, you know, I am blessed to call these wonderful women sisters and the sisterhood is strong when you think about, you know, what that bond really means. So um, I know it has been meant the world to me. And um, I just cannot thank you all enough for joining me for the conversation. Thank You're you. You're welcome. And and can I just add one last thing, uh, Melissa, of if you course. don't mind? So we are um, always looking for partners to help us in our scholarship program or scholarship initiatives, where we're trying to uh, ensure that our, our kids have um, Level, to, level the playing field, if you will, for higher education. And so we have partnered with several local businesses as well as community activists or philanthropists, if you will, to give out scholarships each year to our high school, graduating high school seniors at the schools within our seven city service area. So if anyone is interested in donating and becoming a partner with us in that effort, uh, they're welcome to email us at Tracy Area Alumni. That's T-R-A-C-Y-A-R-E-A-A-L-U-M-N-A-E at yahoo.com. And we will definitely get back to them because we are always wanting to ensure that um, we're supporting our future generations. 
Thank you so much for for saying that. I think um, it's so important for people to know how to get in touch and and how to give. There are a lot of people that want to give. So thank you for putting that out there. Um, So with that, I will thank you all again. And, you know, for those of you out there listening who want to contribute, you know, Liz just gave you a call to action. And so (laughs) so we appreciate you all for listening. And, you know, I always tell people like and subscribe. So um, we will uh, we will be back with some additional Divine Nine organizations. And again, I thank you all for being here. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.